Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a chapter of the Bible, we read it together, and we discuss it, getting the three different perspectives off of three different people. With me, as always, I have Lachlan Miller, our expert. Hello. Morgan Carter, our newbie. Hi. And I'm Joshua Lee, the PK pastor's kid. How are you all doing, guys? Well, this is the third episode that we've done in a row. Yes. This is our big day of recording. And like I did last episode, I have come prepared with a sharing icebreaker question because Mm. we don't really need to catch up on what we've done in the last 20 minutes (laughs) since we finished recording the previous episode. (laughs) So here's my question for us to all discuss. Um, Now, one of the reasons we're recording so many episodes in one go is that My wife, Em, and I are off to Europe in mid-June, which means we need Mm. all of our season done before we leave. We do. And so here's my question. If you got an all-expenses trip to anywhere in the world, where would you go? The first thing that came to my brain was a Scandinavian country. Ooh. Yeah. Or maybe like Scotland, Wales, England, like do that sort of clump. Because I've, I've just never been to sort of that side of the world. Hmm. And from pictures that I've seen of either Scandinavian countries or um, like Scottish, English, Irish, uh, the, their country, the scenery, the the just beautiful and love to sort of like roam the countryside there. And in winter because <laughs> the snow. You want to see the snow. The snow. Yep. Now, I have seen the snow before. <laughs> it's, not, it's not because I actually just want to see the snow because I've never seen the, the snow, but it's more like just imagining like even Canada in winter would just be amazing to go out to like the or, or someplace where like, you know, the like where the like Alpine region and just seeing like the mountains and the snow caps and all that would just be amazing. Mm. I think that's my answer. Yeah, nice. Morgan? Oh, I don't know. My favourite place in the world is Hawaii, so I'd love to have an all expenses and explore all over the islands. But I'd probably pick somewhere really expensive like the Maldives <laughs> or the Bahamas or something really trop. I want like a tropical, like I'm the opposite to Josh. I want sun. I want to be really hot, mm. sweating, tanning. It's probably something tropical. Mm. Or I'd love to see the Northern Lights and do like <laughs> the North Pole, like um. Lapland at Christmas, like mm. that kind of snow with like the sledging and mm. sledding. <laughs> sledging. Or I'd go to Antarctica. That'd be fun. So many options. Mm. I already gave you one trip here, Morgan. <laughs> what about you if it wasn't Europe? Yeah, Europe's always been very high on my bucket list, but given I'm about to go, um, I would probably choose, and this is really going to show off my why I'm the expert of this podcast, I want to do a Holy Lens tour. I had one booked for 2020. Mm. partially paid for and then a certain pandemic came through and stopped travel and then (laughs) that company went bust and that was quite an unfortunate turn of events Mm -hmm. and so I I still really want to do my Holy Lands tour maybe also tack on our like footsteps Mm. of Paul through Greece and Turkey as well onto that Mm. Um, that is very much next on my to-do list once we finished our Europe trip nice well Lockie what chapters are we reading today We are going to be reading chapters 32 to 35 in Genesis. However, before we go too far, I think this is probably an appropriate time to issue a trigger warning. Yes. Um, Chapter 34 of Genesis has a case of sexual assault, and there is a chance that some viewers or some listeners may find that a bit disturbing. And so we just want to give you a heads up right at the beginning to kind of treat that section with caution. 
Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 32 to 35. In these chapters, we see Jacob preparing to meet with his estranged brother Esau. But before this can happen, Jacob literally wrestles with God and has his name changed to Israel. After reconciling with Esau, Jacob reunites with his father Isaac, shortly before Isaac passes away. So in the last episode, we saw Jacob have lots of kids, mm-hmm. lots of wife. Mm-hmm. was very busy. <laughs> and we ended it with Rachel stealing and then continued their journey back to where Jacob came from. Yeah, yeah. They're returning to the land of Canaan. Mm. Now, we also did say last episode, we're returning back to the land of Canaan, but we also know that Esau is very angry and wanted to kill Jacob. Yes, when we last saw Esau, he was breathing out murderous threats against Jacob. Mm. I mean, that was 20 years ago in the context of this story. So has he cooled down? We're not sure yet. Well, if our listeners have read along. Well, if they've read along, they would know the <laughs> then answer. they would know the answer. But Jacob does not know yet. No, yeah. Jacob doesn't. As we hit verse 1 of chapter 32, Jacob is unsure. I think we can sense with the initial 400 men coming with him to meet Jacob that something's not right. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yes. Like, you don't come with 400 men unless you're expecting a fight, right? Mm. And it's it's 400, the big number, so mm. he would have been gathering those over how many years because he didn't know when Jacob was coming back. So he probably had people just ready to go. <laughs> he could have been training them and he's like, right, it's go time. Mm. But if I had 400 men coming towards me, I would be pretty scared too. Yep. Yep. And Jacob does several things in preparation for that. What's really interesting about Jacob's response is he prays, then he plans, then he prays, then he plans, then he prays, then he plans. Mm. It's like the nice dynamic of appealing to the Lord, appealing to Yahweh, while at the same time making real practical, physical plans. Mm. Mm. But potentially just before we get to Esau rocking up with 400 men, we should probably look at just the first vision that Jacob has as he enters back into the land. Uh, In verse 1, literally, while he was on his way, the angels of God met him and he named that place Mahanaim. Now, Mahanaim means two camps. And so Jacob, I think, has seen that, oh, there's angels here. There's the camp of God and here's my camp. And so this is a place where there are currently two camps. And what's also interesting is later on, when he hears that Esau is coming at him with 400 men, he then divides all of his possessions into two camps in an effort to hopefully one of the camps can survive the coming attack. And so this theme of two camps appears multiple times in just these first few verses of chapter 32. The language of this is God's camp is so strange. Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. But I think Jacob saw it as such a comfort of I'm camping here. But also I've just seen that God is here. God has camped here. Mm. Mm. Would have given him real comfort as he enters the land. And then that comfort is shattered pretty quickly when he hears that 400 men are coming at him. (laughs) So in response to his fear, he then divides the people into two separate camps. Mm -hmm. Mm. Pretty smart. Have like a backup (laughs) camp and group of people and animals. And then he prays. And what's interesting about this prayer is this is the first time that Jacob ever in the book of Genesis uses the name Yahweh. Hmm. It's like after all that he's gone through, this is the first moment he's called upon Yahweh by Yahweh's personal name. 
And after calling upon Yahweh using his personal name, I really love his prayer. Like it's a prayer mm. of confession of how unworthy he is for God's kindness. And it's just such a correct attitude to have in prayer of he shows total dependency on God for what mm. is about to happen. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me. Mm. Mm. You know, and even he has shown him so much of that. Yeah. And he's also really selfless with his response. Like he doesn't just care about him. He does care about the mothers and the children mm. as well, which I think is good. Mm. Yeah, that, that is his family. And for mm. all of his flaws and all of his favoritism that runs rife through that family, he still does care for them. I also, I highlighted this because I think it's really funny. <laughs> the present for his brother, like it's like over the top. Mm-hmm. Like he's panicking. He's like, I'll give him all these things. Yeah. How like can it I seems like him? a bit of a panic present. Like <laughs> how much can I give him? Like 550 <laughs> animals. Not yeah. including the young camels that are not given a number, but goats, mm. sheep, camels, cattle, donkey, 550 animals plus. I just think it's like panicking, like, give him this, give him that, <laughs> yeah. chuck a bow on that camel, like, <laughs> give it to him all. Like, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he will get blinded by the gift and he won't be angry at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully this will sort of calm him. Yeah, 20 years of pent-up rage, maybe 550-plus animals can calm him down. Which I'm just trying to imagine that, like, herd of animals and sort of, like, trying to, like... It'd be a sight to be, like, seen trying to, like, herd the motocross as a gift and then... But also, if that's the herd of animals he's prepared to give as a gift, imagine how big his camp is. Mm. Like, I know we talked last episode that Jacob really prospered and the Lord, across 20 years helped him to prosper, but I don't think I fully grasped just how much he has prospered. Mm. This is a wealthy man. Yeah, because who knows if that's like half, a quarter, three quarters, you know, of of his Mm. actual overall flock. Mm. And then when you keep going in this, he sends them ahead. And I noticed that they refer to Esau as to my Lord Esau. Mm -hmm. Is that like out of desperation trying to bow down to him, like give him a bit of a higher name. Yeah, in every interaction Jacob has with Esau in these chapters, he refers to Esau as my lord and he refers to himself as your servant. Mm. They're like sucking up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's so concerned to get in the good books with Esau to show his humility because when he left mm. he was an arrogant little man. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's why he really goes to the almost the begging stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get the meeting up of Jacob and Esau, mm. we get one of the strangest stories in the Bible from verse about 22. We do. And- which is titled, <laughs> Jacob Wrestles with God. I've preached on this very verse, like this, this, this section of the Bible, and it's just so wild that these events even occur. <laughs> you know, you first start with like the desperate Jacob just trying everything and anything to appease Esau. You know, he's throwing gifts, like he's just like going to shower gifts at him. And then, you know, he's like, okay, well, all right, we've, we've got all like the children, we've got all the wives, the servant wives, and... We're going to put them out, like across the river, but then he's left there just by himself in the mm. camp. Then all of a sudden, I'm just imagining a man just rounds the corner and like <laughs> you, I'm wrestling you, and they go into this battle. <laughs> I've just pictured a man running in and like a suplex straight onto Jacob. <laughs> yeah, it is straight, you know, because they say that it's saying here, like you know, and they wrestle together, and 
you know, wrestling is sort of like, you know, it's like the struggle between the two, but like, you know, they're going down into the dirt and stuff. Like it's a sort of a messy sort of fight, mm. but they're doing this until dawn breaks. Yeah. Like it's a a, a long time this is happening. Mm. And you've got to wonder at what point he realized who he was wrestling with. So at the beginning of the text, it's just Jacob is wrestling with an unnamed assailant, mm. a random man. And it's only towards as dawn starts to approach that Jacob, I think, suddenly has a realisation that he's literally wrestling with God. Mm. <laughs> what does it mean by your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel? Mm. But then we still see him called Jacob. Yeah, so from this point onwards in Genesis, the text becomes a little inconsistent of sometimes calling him Jacob, sometimes calling him Israel. But the key point here is that God renames Jacob. Mm. Now, in the Old Testament, as we actually saw very clearly last episode, names mean something. Names reveal either the situation into which you're born or the plans God has for you. Mm. And so when this mysterious assailant requests Jacob's name, Jacob has to reveal his name and his name is heel grabber, deceiver. Mm. Like Jacob has revealed his very character in giving his name, which is someone who has spent his life cheating others. And God goes, that is no longer who you are. Instead, I change your name to Israel. Now, the name Israel means God fights. So Mm. firstly, it's Jacob literally fought with God, like in a physical sense in this passage. And so that's why the name Israel is appropriate. But it also has the second meaning that God will fight for you. Mm. And so from this moment onwards, we get Jacob with a new name, and it's that new name that will be the name of the entire nation ongoing for the rest of history, really. Mm. Now, I don't want God to get away with this, but I do think he slightly cheated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he absolutely cheated. He's just, you know, and to Jacob's credit, like, Jacob's not letting go. He's 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 holding on for dear life, and what does God do? He touches his hip, wrenches it, his hip out of his socket, mm-hmm. and, like, you got to think about, like, you know, wrestling is a very low like in terms of like the sport of it it's a very lower body you know heavy sort of sport so all your power is coming from your lower body like you know through your hips and you know just taking that one like that like you know touching that hip and taking that one spot completely destroys his opponent Mm. but as we see here jacob is still holding on for dear life is he actually fighting a physical being or is he like punching the air like fighting the air (laughs) no the impression we get is he's, he's fighting a man now, I think as we think about this story more closely, it's almost definitely the angel of the Lord that has appeared multiple times in Genesis so far, mm. often in the appearance of just a man that is right. fighting Jacob physically here. I mean, we also okay. saw the Lord appear to Abraham physically as a man, and that is, again, what is happening here. Which is like, you know, why, why did God do this in the first place? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like out of out of everything, like the man, like, you know, poor Jacob is like fearing for his life, which I guess is then part of like, you know, part of why this is happening. Because he's, what my, like my, my thought process is that Jacob is so concerned about his own well-being and is using all these earthly devices even though he did pray beforehand and he has um sort of asked for god's protection in this he is still using all these like sort of earthly protections to try and like help help him out you know it still begs the question why would god actively go out of his way to wrestle us because it wasn't that jacob saw god there and was like all right let's do this Mm. it was the other way around yeah god sought him him out and decided to go and wrestle him. A lot of the commentaries I was reading were saying that 
because of Jacob's pride, God came to humble him. Mm. Like from this moment onwards, he lived with a limp for the rest of his life, but he also lived with a new name that more fully revealed God's plans and purposes for him. I also came across across this quote, which I absolutely love. This is from Tremper Longman, who we've brought up before on the podcast as probably the most preeminent Old Testament scholar alive today. And this is what he says about this passage. Many questions echo in our minds after reading this passage. Why does God fight Jacob? Why do they apparently fight to a standstill? Why doesn't God give his name? Why does God have to leave before the morning light? We will have to live with many of these questions unresolved. (laughs) And so from a true expert of the Old Testament, that is his response. We will have to live with many of these questions unresolved. (laughs) (laughs) That is okay. You know, like sometimes we don't need to know the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes our own hubris of needing to know the answer is our undoing. So it's okay. It's okay if we don't know. What's important is Jacob is changed from this interaction. Mm. Both physically. Yeah. Mentally. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Mm. Everything. This is a pivotal moment in his life where he wrestles God. And then he names the place Peniel, which means face of God, because he's realized that he's come face to face to God and been spared. Mm. And it's almost, thinking about it, like he's going to come face to face with Esau. And that's a scary thought. Yep. But he's now come face to face with God. And even more scary, like with a like, you know, flick of a wrist or like, you know, snapping his fingers could instantly just wipe out Jacob. Mm. And that's a more like, you know, the, the creator of the universe you've gone against and you've stood toe to toe with and you're now a changed man. Esau should now mean nothing to you. And I think you've perfectly identified why this story is here. Mm. or why this event in Jacob's life happens at this exact point, mm. is after you've come face-to-face with God, you can easily limp out and confront your brother. Yeah. No hiding behind. How many How many animals was it? 550 plus the unnamed amount of baby mm. camels. Yep. No hiding behind that many gifts. You know? <laughs> and then we get to Jacob meeting Esau. Yeah. Mm. And... Esau obviously wasn't too impressed with all the presents because he still got his 400 men with him and didn't send them back. (laughs) But I thought it was really interesting how he ordered the people. Mm. Felt really bad for Leah again. But (laughs) the servants first, then Leah with her children, then Rachel and Joseph. Mm -hmm. So there's that favouritism again. Yeah, the most important at the back in Jacob's mind. Yeah, and then I'm not sure what happens, but did Esau just get really overwhelmed and... Not need the 400 people, but it says he ran up and kissed him Mm. and they wept. Yeah. So you've got to wonder why Esau brought the 400 men with him. Mm. Because Esau's response here is to run up weeping for happiness to see his long lost brother that he hasn't seen in 20 years. Mm. So I have no idea why he brought the 400 men. Yeah. I also want to quickly point out that while Jacob divided his wives in importance of order, he still then walked out in front of all of them. Mm. So he was still the first to encounter Esau if anything was to go wrong. Yeah, he wasn't hiding behind anything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Maybe... Maybe he brought the 400 people still because he wasn't sure how Jacob would react after such a long time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Maybe yeah. he thought his brother was going to come as a conquering force to retake the land that he thought he mm. deserved. 
Yeah. yeah, but really he just showed up with his 67 children. <laughs> 12, <laughs> animals. 12 children. <laughs> Another interesting thought about how Esau ran out to meet Jacob is that this reminded me of a New Testament story, and I don't know if you guys will also have the same link, but Jesus' story son. of the prodigal son. I think it's actually fairly likely that Jesus drew inspiration from this story mm. when he told the story of a father who ran out with joy to greet his long-lost son, he mm. pulled a, a part of the Old Testament into his memory of when a brother rushed out and greeted with joy his long-lost brother. Mm. It's just so similar. I really liked this story because there was lots of, it was easy to visualise it, mm. how it's all described, like everyone bowing down in what order. Mm. It just would have been such a sight to see after them travelling for so long and meeting in the middle with these 400 people on one side, mm. all these kids' family mm like animals it's really it's a cool story yeah mm. then the emotions of like high tension i don't know what esau is gonna mm. do but then like that like release oh, of energy yeah. of like yeah the you know yeah relief and just they there's no ill feelings anymore it's now just we are brothers and mm. then also this is my family you know like now now it's <laughs> now like, meet everyone now meet everyone this is like you know the like the heartfelt like introductions yeah. and everything you know like you can imagine that sort of like scenario mm. and like surprise you're an uncle to 12 kids <laughs> <laughs> surprise <laughs> what's also really good of jacob is that he says that seeing Esau's face is like seeing the face of God. And what he means by this is he is recognizing that deliverance from Esau has come from God. Mm. He's recognizing that this reconciliation is proof that God has intervened and answered his prayers. Mm. And so it's nice to see acknowledgement by any biblical character when God does intervene for their good. And then from 12, we see it say, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. So Esau is happy to guide them back home which mm. I think is really nice. But this is where we see that while Jacob may have just received a new name in Israel, he is still his old <laughs> deceiving self mm. because Esau invites Jacob to come home with him and return to Esau's new land and live at peace with him. And Jacob says, no, 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 like we'll go too slowly for you. You go on ahead. We'll meet up with you later and then heads the opposite direction. Old habits die hard. Why did he do that? Why couldn't he just go with the easy option? I don't know. Like. I'm sure part of him was still a little bit worried about what his brother would be like. Yeah. But I don't know why immediately after such a happy reunion, he felt the need to lie and literally head the opposite direction. I mean, maybe it was out of a place of like, I still want to be the head of like the family. And now if we go back with you, my family will be under your family, maybe impossibly. And it was that ego of, I can't have that. Don't know. Did Esau come from where they originally, where Jacob originally was from? No. So Esau at the time had moved to a country called Edom or Seir, which was kind of southeast of the promised lands. So like how did Jacob's servants and stuff know to find him there? I don't understand how they communicate and find people. They don't have phones. They don't have like Google Maps. No, they you, have... you send your servant into the local village and you go, hey, East, do you know the guy called Esau? And someone goes, oh, yeah, my cousin once traded with him. And he's like, oh, where does he live at the moment? Ah, oh, about 100K south. Then you travel 100K south, find another village, go, uh, do you, anyone here know Esau? And they go, oh, yeah, he lives out past... Beggar's Canyon. Like, <laughs> Beggar's Canyon. Like, mm. it's a lot slower. 
but it's just a normal mode of communication yeah. and discovery. They needed phones. <laughs> they needed phones back then. They didn't have it. It was probably <laughs> a more human way to live than having instant access to the mm. information. And you probably sent out multiple servants too. You probably Definitely. wasn't just relying on the one as well. Mm. Anything else from the end of 33? Just that he built a house. Yeah. Mm. Not a camp. So he was. he obviously had intention to stay there a bit longer than just a tent. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good observation. Mm. So Succoth literally means shelters. And so he built a bunch of sheds for all of his livestock to live in, which shows that mm. he was planning on staying there a while. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, it also sets up the prelude for chapter 34, which is, and this was right near the city of Shechem. And that's where some pretty awful things are going to happen. But also the city of Shechem is the same place that Abram camped when he first arrived in Canaan. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, this is the location where Abram set up his first ever camp in the Promised Lands. Hmm. Interesting. So there's a bit of a retreading his grandfather's story going on here. Hmm. Should probably talk about the altar. Yeah. Can you pronounce how this altar is should be read? Is it Eloi Eloi? No. El Elohe Israel would be a guess. I'm not an expert in uh, pronunciation. El, El Elohe Israel. <laughs> Basically, it means El is the God of Israel. Right. Which is Jacob really embracing his new name, really embracing the identity of Yahweh as his God. What's also particularly interesting is throughout all of Genesis, we have the patriarchs wandering around building altars. But the word here for he built an altar is a completely different word. This is also the location where Abraham built his first altar in the promised lands. So the potential solution for why a different word is used here is that he reconstructs the earlier altar or he refurbishes it or he repurposes it. So potentially he's actually found the original altar that Abraham built here, his Mm. grandfather, and he's like, I'm once again setting this up, maintaining it. This is an altar to represent that my God is my God. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. I thought so. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. yeah. No, I was, I was just, just sort of like thinking about it going. Like it's cool that it could potentially, like that original altar could potentially still be there. Yeah. And and recognizing the significance, but then keeping the it alive, mm. essentially. And now we come to chapter 34. Something that we were just discussing before is the differences in versions. So when I was reading my version, I couldn't actually find where this happened because of how it was worded. Mm. So everyone's Bible might say something different depending on what version you're reading, which is just something important to note. Yes. Yes, your version sort of hid the sexual assault behind some extra language. So it it just said humiliated her instead of raped her. Yeah, whereas Mm. Josh and I's versions was a lot clearer about the great sin that the people of this land, that that Shechem, the person Mm. who you assume the city of Shechem is named after, committed against Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Mm. I think straight up I just want to ask why he did that. I mean, he's a prince, so I feel like that entitlement of I can just do whatever I want. I I think you're asking a question of why are humans sinful and awful? I don't know if the... Not quite, but why (laughs) why directly in this situation did this happen? And, like, is there a reason we're told about it here? Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's almost any similar situation. Even today you can ask why would someone do that? His motivations are not revealed here. We do know that after he raped her, it then says his heart was drawn to her and suddenly he loved her. So whether that was his initial reasoning or whether that is just the feelings that developed post the incident, 
we do know that after this incident, he then actually goes to Jacob and requests to marry her. Something that made me really frustrated through this whole bit was where are the 11 protective brothers? Like, Oh, they turn up. <laughs> but, like, it shouldn't have got that far with 11 brothers. Like, Well, it does start with verse 1 of she went out to visit the women of the land. And so mm. you just have to assume that the brothers are not around her 24-7. She's gone out to visit some of the other women who live in the area, and that yeah. is when Shechem comes in. Mm. Yeah. And so they definitely weren't around at the time of the event, but when they found out, they were shocked and furious. Oh, yeah. They which, of course. Mm. Although that is in direct contrast to Jacob, who did nothing about it. Mm. Now, I often wonder whether if this had been Rachel's daughter, whether it would be a different response because uh, it's Leah's daughter. But mm. Jacob was was and is so passive in this story. I wonder if it's because he didn't want to, because it's, it's all surrounding the prince of this land that he also was concerned about the implications of it all and fearful for his family and his life if this all went south, if that makes sense. That is very much the attitude we see in him at the end of the chapter mm. when he criticises his sons for the actions they are about to take, mm. um, which we should probably get to, is Jacob has clearly raised his children to be deceitful because as Shechem comes to try and negotiate a marriage deal between him and Dinah, Jacob's sons reply, we will intermarry with you and we'll allow this to happen if all of the men of your town get circumcised. And it says that they did this to be deceitful. So they always had a plan for what they're about to do. So they always knew that we're, 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 we're going to do something else and in, in retaliation. Yes. Mm. And so they've taken circumcision, which was intended by God to bring divine blessing. Like it was meant to be the sign of God's relationship with mm. people. And instead they've used it to weaken the men of Shechem because in the short term, circumcision to an adult will definitely weaken them in the short term. Mm. And then Levi and Simeon walk in with some swords and, and kill every single male. They do. Which is actually pretty realistic of a few days after circumcision for an adult, that all those males could be quite incapacitated. And so even just two men, healthy mm. Simeon and Levi, acting alone, could have quite easily killed every member of this town. Mm. And then it says all the other brothers joined in for uh, taking everything that was there. So for plundering. <laughs> they, yeah, they looted the place. They, 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 didn't, they didn't wait to or just leave it be. Mm. Um, it is also important to point out that clearly the Shechemites were also being deceptive in these negotiations because mm. they go, hey, Mo, so Shechem's dad goes to the people of the town and says... We should agree to this. We should all get circumcised because then their livestock and their property and their other animals will become ours. And so their entire reasoning for agreeing to this is clearly Jacob and his possessions is a massive force. Mm. It is something that even a, a whole city looks at and goes, we would love to take possession of that. And they think by allowing intermarrying and getting circumcised, they will end up with all of Jacob's possessions. So mm. there's a lot of deception going on. But then a lot of killing going on. Yeah. Did Dinah survive? We believe so, yes. Because it says they went in and rescued her. Yeah. So yeah. after she was raped, she was kept in the city. And then uh, Levi and Simeon go in and kill everyone in the city and rescue her. I think what is hard about this story, and I'm going to go there, is that Jacob and his sons both represent different approaches that aren't approaches of justice. So mm. Jacob is too passive and does nothing. 
and sin of this type and this situation, there should be punishment, there should be action, there should be consequences. And Jacob is on the wrong side of justice by not doing so. Mm. But then Simeon and Levi, while they rush to the defense of their sister, and I can so understand that desire, their actions go beyond justice. Slaughtering every single male in an entire city as retribution goes beyond the call of justice, Mm. but just in a different way than Jacob's. And so all three of the male actors here don't actually do what is in the end just. Mm. It's sort of like looking at the, like as if it was a pendulum and Mm. um, and on both sides of it, too far on either side of said pendulum. Because, Mm. I mean, we already sort of said about like Jacob's dismissiveness of, of, of it, but to slaughter every male that is not guilty of said crime is probably a step too far. And then plundering the whole city too. And then plundering the city. And it also does say that they took the children and the women as well as captives. Mm. You know, if they had then just slaughtered the prince, the conversation of whether or not like that act warrants death would be, uh, would be what would be something that we would discuss, but it's, you know, it's an entire town city of men that were, were killed. So mm, we can understand how that, like, you know, that might be a step too far. Though I must admit, my brain immediately went to good retribution. And that's where my brain goes to as well. As uh, someone with a sister, as someone with a wife, like just imagining anyone ever daring to do it, Mm. I would absolutely want retribution. But Mm. trying to look at it with a very rational mindset of they slaughtered an entire city, that was wrong. Mm. Mm. Which means we end up with this story that is a tangled web of good and evil. It is also a story that takes place without any reference to God at any point. Mm. Especially when you mentioned prior that the covenant of circumcision was God-given. And here it is not sort of being used as how God has intended it. We are sort of using God's what God has given and sort of using it for their own gain almost, Mm. Um, sort of misusing it. Yeah. And later in the law of God, in the Mosaic Covenant, we're seeing that covenantal agreements are not to be made in a sham. And so the fact that they made this covenant with these people with the express intention of killing them all later is another negative moment. I think the final thing I want to say about why this story might have been included is in about 400 years' time from this story, we're going to see that God is going to send his people back into the land of Canaan to wipe out everyone, like to wipe out cities like this. Mm. And this story is setting the scene for the perversion of the local people. Mm. We're meant to see them as a people that will do sexual crimes without any second thought, and then immediately after doing a sexual crime, start negotiations for Dinah's hand in marriage. Like, I think we're setting Mm. the groundwork for why these people deserve judgment. Mm. And that's not going to come for a while, but when it does come in the book of Joshua, we've seen all of the reasons in Genesis. Mm. And then we move on to 35. Yes, (laughs) let's move on. Yeah, let's do it. So when I read this title, God Blesses and Renames Jacob, I was confused because that happened earlier. Yeah, my title is Mm. Jacob Returns to Bethel, which feels like a really Um, appropriate title because that's exactly what happens in these verses. So mine's God Blesses and Renames Jacob. Hmm, interesting. I mean, mine just says Jacob Returns to Bethel. But it is interesting in this chapter that does happen again because that same thought process, I, I had the exact same thing. I was like, but he's already been renamed. I suppose it's similar to the sheer amount of times God appeared before Abraham and Mm. kept reminding him of all of the promises that he was going to give him. 
It's just God appearing before Jacob and reminding him that he has a new name. You are now Israel. Mm. And so in preparation for returning to Bethel, him and his household purify themselves. Mm, They do. Just slightly concerning that he instructed his entire household to get rid of all pagan idols, Mm. which begs the question, why were the pagan idols in the first place? Well, we know his favorite wife, Rachel, had stolen a bunch of pagan idols last episode. Mm. His sons had just plundered an entire city, which you've got to assume was filled with pagan idols. Mm. And then Mm. it's a big household. There was probably a lot of pagans in the household just full stop. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you can't like, quote unquote, like control everything, like what people do. And slash, if you just have it, like you don't actually have to be worshipping it. You could just have it like like through the plundering. You could just have it with you. Mm. And yeah, so just get rid of it. Mm. I like that he just put them under a tree. (laughs) (laughs) I suspect he buried them so that others couldn't find them. Mm. Like he's putting them away from both the people in his household that may want to come back to them later because they truly believe in them, but also for any others just to hide away the pagan idols. Is there a significance in them putting in there that Deborah, the nurse, died? Yes, absolutely. What is that significance? This chapter, this whole chapter, chapter 35, is the transition chapter where one story, so the story of Jacob will come to an end in the sense of him being the main character. Mm -hmm. And the way that that transition is achieved is through three deaths. And so it's like these three important people in the story are all now passing away, which will lead us into next episode where the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, become the main characters. And while Jacob's still around, it's very much his children that are on display and talked about. And so these three deaths slowly lead us to the conclusion that that generation is now over. And the first death is Deborah, who was Rebecca's nurse. So you may remember back in the story of Rebecca coming to meet Isaac for the first time, and it says that her nurse came along with her. Mm. So this is a lady that has cared for Rebecca since Rebecca was born, and then you have to assume therefore cared for Jacob since he was born and has probably been with him the entire time, including his 20 years with Laban. And Mm. so her death as a very key member of the family, because she probably helped raise Jacob, is Mm. sort of that first step to the slow transition in the book of Genesis to the next generation. And I guess if we're going to talk about the deaths that slowly transition this chapter into the next generation of storytelling, we have Rachel give birth to her second and final son. Mm. Unfortunately, she dies in childbirth. I was going to ask if she, because mine says she had a hard labor and then later on it says she died, but I wasn't sure if she died in childbirth. We're meant to read this as if she died because of childbirth. Mm. Now, she obviously lived long enough post it to give her son a name. Mm-hmm. but she dies almost immediately afterwards. Mm. And so she had prayed so much for a second son. In fact, she had named her first son, please give me another son, like that's what Joseph <laughs> needs. And her prayer was fulfilled, but with very sad consequences. So with Rachel's last breath, she names the new baby boy Benoni. Benoni? Is that, is that how you would pronounce it? Benoni? Yeah. Meaning son of my sorrows. Mm. However, the baby's father, or Jacob, calls him Benjamin, mm. which says, son of my right hand, or meaning son of my right hand. Correct. <laughs> it's interesting and almost seems a bit of like a slap of the face. Like, it's like, oh, don't like that name. I'm just going to rechange it. There's a chance Jacob just didn't want 
that reminder every time he looked at Benjamin. Mm. Like we find out in the stories that follow this moment that Joseph is is his favorite child by far, and then Benjamin becomes like a close second in Mm. terms of being a favorite child, purely because they are the two sons of Rachel. Mm. And so I think he didn't want to be reminded of Rachel's death every time he referred to his son. And so rather than taking the occasion of sorrow, he turned it into a moment of triumph, a victorious name so Mm. that he can always remember that his favorite wife gave him two sons. Yeah. And then Rachel is buried and it's 12 miles north of Bethlehem. And in Mm. fact, 1 Samuel 10 verse 2 says that her grave sort of marks the border of where the Benjamite tribe lives. And so she died giving birth to Benjamin Mm. and that tribe would one day use her grave as one of the location points to show where they lived. Hmm. The Benjamite. Sorry, I was just <laughs> thinking about the Benjamites, which and my brain then went, Vegemite. <laughs> wow, your brain goes to weird places. <laughs> the Benjamites and then the, the, the other tribe, the Vegemites. Yes, okay. <laughs> okay, Josh. Mm. And it would have been a like a significant sort of marker because as it says here, Jacob set up a stone monument. Like, mm. you know, it wasn't just a like, you know, just like a burial with like maybe like, you know, something small there. If we're thinking that Jacob really favored Rachel over anyone else, then this would have been a significant monument to remember mm. Rachel by. Should we discuss in twenty two what Reuben does? <laughs> we should definitely discuss it, yes. Yes. <laughs> so after the death of Rachel, Reuben then goes in and sleeps with Bilha. Now Bilha is one of the wives of Jacob, mm. she is was originally Rachel's maid. Mm. Now, this is potentially an attempt to take control of the family, to assert dominance. Whatever the reasoning, it says here, weirdly enough, that Jacob didn't do anything about it. He mm. heard about it, but he didn't act on it. Yeah. Which must lead to the question of why include this story, right? Yes, definitely. Now, my translation says his father's concubine, which mm. almost degrades Bilha like a, a slightly further, I mm. would I would imagine. But yeah, why include it if we're not going to get any, any anything more? We're just sort of here left to wonder, all right, Jacob heard about it. Mm. And was that it? There is a question an ancient Israelite has resounding in their mind as they read about the children of Jacob. And that is, why is the tribe of Judah the chosen kingly tribe. Mm. Now, the way it would normally work is that the firstborn son would inherit the right to rule, the right to be dominant over the family. However, Judah is the fourthborn son. And so any ancient Israelite living from the time of David onwards is probably wondering why the heck was Judah chosen? Mm. I think these last few chapters have explained that to us. Reuben is the firstborn. He loses his father's blessing Mm. the moment he sleeps with Bilhah. We also see in the previous story that Simeon and Levi, who are the next two oldest after Reuben, so son number two and son number three, they lose their father's favor when they slaughter all the Shechemites against their father's instructions. Mm. And so in these two chapters, we see that Jacob has decided in and of himself that he will not be passing on the blessing of the firstborn to Reuben, to Levi, or to Simeon which leads us to the fourth son. But as we will see at the very end of Genesis, where Jacob is on his deathbed and giving the blessings to his sons, Mm. he gives Judah the blessing of the firstborn. 
Mm. So we know the consequence of these actions. Of these actions of Ruben's actions later. Yes. So he sees this happen. So mm-hmm. as it you know, as it says, he heard about it. But those consequences of which blessing he gives gets revealed to us at the end of Genesis. Yes. Yeah. So we've got to wait many, many more chapters to see the consequences. But these two stories are the reason that the fourth born son, Judah, becomes the kingly line through which we get David, through which we get Jesus. Mm. Because these, the first three sons have disqualified themselves. Mm. And that's why that one single verse about Reuben is included. Wow. That's quite literally just one sentence too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then Isaac dies. And then we have the final death of this chapter, because there's been three deaths in this chapter. The final handing on of the torch is that Isaac passes away. Now, what's interesting is Isaac gave his blessing to Jacob ages ago because he was afraid that he was nearing death, but he's lived another 20 years since then. Mm, I can't imagine. He was already kind of like a frail old man at that point. Mm. Another 20 years. I mean, he's what, 180? Is that what it says in the text? Yeah. I like that Esau and Jacob both buried him too. Yeah, Yeah, that's nice. Seems like the last moment they potentially united Mm. to bury their father. And by burying their father in the same cave as Abraham and Sarah, Mm -hmm. by burying their father, we move into a new section of the book of Genesis because another generation, the generation of Isaac, has passed away. Wow. That's for next time. <laughs> it's always funny, like ending, you know, wrapping up someone's life. Like, you know, Isaac was sort of more like the middle person to get to Jacob. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, we weren't with him for quite a bit, you know. Some of the, we had more stories from surrounding Jacob than we did Isaac. But it, it is, I don't know, something somber about like, you know, another, you know, ancestor from the line of Abraham has... It like ended and, and we're wrapping up that, that section of the story as we transition into the next one. Mm. Mm. Something I took away from today was probably at the beginning of the episode, and Lockie said, pray, plan, pray, plan, from what we read. Mm. And I really like that. I think that's really relatable. Um, I like how he did that. Mm. And it's encouraged. Yeah, you can always still have that trust, but you're still going to make smart plans Mm -hmm. and try and put plans in place, but with the trust that the prayer will also help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And off like the back of that, I guess my takeaway is like, Jacob wrestling God and then, having to face Esau was like, well, with, you know, with the power of God, you can face anything, you know, same, you know, same thing with like, you know, pray and plan, like pray to God because you've can do anything with him. Like, you know, no, no person's too scary. No uh, feat is unachievable with, with God, you know, with God by your side, you can achieve anything. You guys have literally stolen what I decided was going to be my takeaway from this episode, (laughs) which again is that fact that after facing God in a wrestling match, Jacob was like, I could do anything. Like, Mm. let's go talk to Esau because if I faced God, I could easily face my brother. And it's that idea of with God, all things are possible, but also with what Jacob has gone through and with God at his side, he genuinely feels like all things are possible. Mm. Can we make a shirt that says pray, plan, pray, plan, pray, plan? (laughs) Yes. It could be our first uh, release of yeah. merchandise. Like, can, we have a, can we have a hoodie? Because it's freezing yeah. <laughs> all the time. As we round out this episode, 
don't forget to go check out our social medias, our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, to stay up to date with everything that we're doing. And also, if you want to financially support us, head over to Patreon. We uh, release extra long episodes there. You get it a day early and some extra content. But also, we will be pulling questions from there for our Q&A when we get up to the Q&A as we're sort of getting towards the end of Genesis here. We'll have a Q&A. But if you want to go support us financially, go to Patreon. Don't forget to share this podcast around. Share it to someone that needs it, that you think that might really benef- uh, benefit from listening to this because we would love not only the podcast to be shared but the Word of God to be shared. Morgan, can I get you to pray for us? Lord God, thank you that we can come together and study your Word together. We can ask questions and explore what you have set out to teach us together. I pray for everyone listening and hope that they have learned something. In your name, amen. Amen. Lockie and Morgan, thank you. Thank you for everyone watching and listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 A Mustard Seed Creative Production.